God, you guys ready back there? Yep, all right. Uh, you guys ready? I want you to uh, get your Bibles ready by turning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Our Father. Everyone say it with me. All together, good and loud. Our Father. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, but whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles, because they think that their many words will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. So pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now we began this new year with a 21-day fast, seeking a new reset based on God's fundamental principle of faith and that principle is found in 2nd Chronicles 7:14 which says if my people then I if my people then I and we took that corporate mandate if my people from the plural to the singular and we brought it down to a personal level and we said if you confront your private daily challenges through your daily fellowship with God, then He can lead you into larger victories in your public life. Praise the Lord. So last week we began to look at how to reset our lives every single day on a daily basis through what is called the Lord's Prayer. Now, <clears throat> Jesus didn't just teach us to pray, but He taught us how to pray. Praise the Lord. And so the disciples who had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, they had grown up saying prayers. They knew prayers. And all their lives they had been practicing saying prayers. But they saw the dramatic difference between saying prayers and getting answers when they watched Jesus pray. Now today, often and oftentimes, um, we teach that prayer is talking to God. We usually say to people, just, just direct your conversation to God. Just talk to God, and that's prayer. And I've, I've said that many times. Um, and, uh, but I've begun to rethink that. Because Jesus wouldn't have taught how to pray if it was just left up to everybody to just talk to God. Whatever comes into your mind to conversate God with God about, just do that. Just talk to God and God will receive that as prayer. But you see, our modern method of praying just strengthens the misconception that my life is reality and prayer is getting God to help me with it. But <clears throat> when Jesus taught on prayer, He taught that God the Father is the true center of reality. That life is in Him and prayer is us getting into that life 
in God's reality. Can you say amen? amen? So the practice of, quote, just talking to God usually doesn't bring results because the person praying seldom transitions from their reality to God's reality. They're simply talking to God about their circumstances and trying to get Him to work in those circumstances. But when Jesus taught prayer, His starting point was God, not us. He built His prayer around His kingdom, not our circumstances. And His prayer focuses on God's truth, not our ideas. So to tell people just simply talk to God leaves them in their reality, talking to God about their circumstances and offering their ideas as opportunities for God to come and anoint those ideas and bless them and make them work. So obviously the Lord knew that we needed to learn how to pray and He gave us what people call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father and it's really the Disciples' Prayer. We got a little more than halfway through it last week and I want to pick it up today with the last two major sections of that prayer which the first one begins with, forgive us our sins as we also forgive. And as we look at forgive us our sins, once again we find ourselves approaching the Father as a community. So I want to say to you that to be Christ-like, you must pray Christ-like. What a tremendous thought. If I want to be like Jesus, I need to pray like Jesus. Jesus said, our Father, forgive us our sins. Jesus, against whom every sin that was ever committed was committed. He forgave us all as our sins were killing him on the cross. Jesus shocked his disciples with the revelation that <clears throat> successful prayer takes into account not just your relationship with God, but your relationship with other people. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, when Jesus had, had for the first time taught what we call the Lord's Prayer, at the very end when he, when he said, um, and, and uh, lead us not into temptation. He, f he finishes it off by saying to them, for if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That was pretty direct, wasn't it? Jesus also went on to say in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, he said, So if you come to prayer and you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Don't continue praying. Stop, he said. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. If we took that seriously, that would be startling. Because amazingly, Jesus is barring people from entering prayer until they first make an effort to reconcile with those that have ought against them. This is one of the most violated commands of Scripture. 
because we don't mind saying, all right, before I pray, I'm going to forgive so-and-so if I have ought against them. But when we know that somebody has ought against us and we're willing to ignore it and just say, that's their problem. Jesus said, don't even take another step further in prayer. You know they have ought against you. You see, the Lord is saying, I have forgiven you of all kinds of things, and some of them were things you thought were trivial, but they were sins nonetheless, and I frankly forgave you all of them. Your sins put me to death on the cross, so I require that if you want to come to me and be blessed, then you need to pray like I pray. Jesus, when he prayed, because that was on the cross, he was praying. He said, Father, forgive them, all of them. Don't lay this sin at their charge. They know not what they do. And he could have rationalized in his mind, they know exactly what they're doing. But he didn't do that. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But there we are, knowing that people are in strife with us. We know that there's an open, unresolved issue that we have not made an effort to reconcile but we just say, yeah, I don't have anything in my heart against them, but they've got something against me, and I don't know what it is, but that's their problem. And yet we press in to pray and seek God without making any effort to reconcile. We are violating the direct command of Scripture. Jesus said, leave your gift and go be reconciled with your brother. Now, I know this is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. As I was preparing this message, I, as a pastor, I have watched this Scripture be ignored. I have watched people deliberately argue themselves out from under it and just say, I'm not going to talk to that person, um, I, you know, and they come up with rationalizations for not doing it. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive, and you can say, well, I'm not the one who's got the problem with forgiveness, but you know that the strife and the unforgiveness is there and you're allowing it to go on when you could undo that burden off of your brother or sister. You could go and talk with them. You could speak a word of peace and of comfort that would relieve them. You could even take the blame even if you think it's not really your fault because you want to bring relief and comfort and release. You don't want there to be strife in the body of Christ. If you cared about the body of Christ like Jesus cares about the body of Christ, you would do that. Because he loves his body. And he doesn't want the devil to get in there in these, in these areas of strife and be able to bring festering and breaking. Whole churches have been ripped apart because a, more, a spiritual believer said, I'm going to use my faith to believe God for his promises without having to go and, and get right with someone who's got ought against me. And the enemy, and then they wonder why. How come we don't have authority over the enemy? How come Satan's able to operate? And by the time he's done, whole families, whole churches, whole communities have been left destroyed because people refuse to do this. So I'm really confronting you with this this morning because I want you to really think about this seriously. This, this is not something that someone suggested. This is a word that Jesus spoke about prayer. Now, many Christians constantly say, I have faith in the Word. 
and I believe God is answering my prayer. While at the same time, they're tolerating a situation of strife between themselves and another. But they will not go because they think, well, you know, that I heard it through the grapevine or, or uh, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, if I go say something to them, it's going to expose this. or All these rationalizations for not doing it. And so they say, but I believe God that God's going to honor my faith in the word. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith says that faith won't work. That faith that tolerates strife in your life while you are believing the word. He said that faith won't work. You know, Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. So the the potting soil of true faith, of mountain-moving faith, is love. And Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples if you maintain love one for another. Now, of course, I'm not talking about going and, and getting someone on the phone or going, showing up at the front door and creating a situation of strife that doesn't exist because you think they looked funny at you at church and you're, you're just thinking that they got something against you and say, I, you know, what, what kind of problem do you have with me? I saw you looking at me in church or I stuck out my hand and you walked past me and so I know that you must be having something again. I'm not talking about being petty. I'm not talking about being stupid because that is dumb when people do things like that. I'm talking about when you know there is a broken relationship. You know there is strife. There's blood in the water. You know it. There's no doubt about it. But you don't want to be the one to go because you're not the, you're not the person who's offended. They're offended. But Jesus didn't say, leave your gift at the altar if you're offended. He said, if you know they're offended at you. You know, faith, the ability to believe the Word of God, furnishes you with God's advantages over your limitations. But I'll tell you what it can't do. The faith that can move mountains with the advantages of God cannot replace your responsibilities. Love's obligation is the one mountain that faith cannot remove. You can remove all kinds of obstacles, but when there's ought, faith will not remove that. In fact, no matter how much faith in God you have, it cannot move past unforgiveness in your relationships. Now, Romans 12, 18, because you're probably sitting there thinking the same thing that I've always thought. I've talked to this person before. We've been through this before. You have to pray. You have to use wisdom. You can't go to people with every petty little thing because some people just get up every day to get into strife. Some people are going to be mad, and you're just one of seven people that they're angry at this week. And you've done everything to make peace and to bring peace. This is obviously not the situation that I'm talking about. Romans 12 and 18 says, If possible... Say that with me. If possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That 
is the verse that you want to use to define for you your situation. Should I go talk to this person that I know has got a problem with me? If possible, so far as it depends on you. Now let me camp out on that thought with you for just a moment. So far as it depends on me, the truth is that oftentimes if I know that somebody's upset with me, I know in myself that I could go to them and speak a word of kindness like apples of gold in pitchers of silver that would bring relief, that would help them, that would bring understanding. And if it didn't sufficiently solve what was bothering them, it would at least be me offering an olive branch and saying I want there to be peace. And as much as it rests with me, I can't heal your issue. I can't say something that isn't true to make you not be mad. I can't lie. I can't, I can't uh, turn an ugly thing into a beautiful thing for you, but I can offer you myself and say that I love you in the Lord and as far as it lies within me. You see what we're talking about? If you can go and offer peace, then you do it. If you've done it, it's done. It doesn't say you have to win them. It doesn't say that they have to accept what you're saying. You can then go back to the altar, pick up your gift, worship God. Your heart is clear. You know you have done what is right. Many times, if you're willing to take that step and go see that person and offer that olive branch and do it in a way that, that you, you ask the Lord to give you wisdom how to do it, you don't want to go approach people and say something, an opening comment that's just simply going to stick a stick in an already festering situation. Well, I know you've got a problem with me. There are people that go to reconcile and they go with an accusatory spirit. They go with a strifeful spirit and a spirit of accusation. You're not ready to go yet. If you're going to go and talk to them. Now, they could be 85% wrong. It doesn't say if they're not wrong, go to them. They could be 85% wrong, and you, can, you could be a great psychologist and have them all figured out. And you could know, you know what, nobody's able to satisfy this person. This person is just a fault finder. We write off fault finders. We just say, well, that person's just bitter. That person's fault. Have you ever thought that person down inside would love to be delivered from that awful bondage of just being angry, upset? I don't want to play psychologist, but why is that person like that? You see, if, if, if some Christians would walk truly in that sacrificial love like Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. I mean, at the moment their sins were killing him, he was loving them and forgiving them. You can't really, you can't see a more dramatic picture of what I'm talking about than to see our Lord on the cross doing that. They were one, we were 100% wrong and he was 100% saying they don't know what they're doing. And I would stand at the foot of the cross and argue, no, no, they know what they're doing. Caiaphas and, and, and uh, the high priest, they know what they're doing. 
But Jesus would turn to me from the cross and say, you know not what spirit you're of. You don't understand what I'm doing. There is a higher road that we must travel. And, and you'll never see it if you're not willing to let love rule your life. And really pray like Jesus prayed. We need to follow these instructions and not pick and choose and say, you know, I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Are you going to live peaceably with everybody? No. But you can win a lot more people than you think you can win if you're willing to do what Jesus said. Forgive so that your Father can forgive you. Moving on. The last section of this prayer, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the, that was not spoken to suggest that God would ever lead anyone into temptation. Because frankly, the scripture in James says, the Lord cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone with evil. So we know that that is not being suggested here. But what is he saying? When he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to restructure that sentence. And I, if you could possibly write this down or listen to this on the internet and download it to your computer, capture this phrase, write it down, put it in, your, in the sacred place with a magnet on your refrigerator or, or in your Bible or whatever. Get it out and look at it regularly. Here it is. If you let God lead you away from temptation, then He will deliver you from evil. Just let that sink in for a moment. If you let God lead you away from temptation, then He will deliver you from evil. When we think about God leading us, we must consider the delicate interplay between the Spirit's ability to influence us and our own will. God doesn't drag you through life like a chess piece, chess piece across a game board. He works with your will and always leads you to Jesus. If you want to know should I take that job? Should I marry that person? Should I do this? Go here, do that. Look at where Jesus is. The Father always leads you to Jesus. Jesus may be standing in the middle of a burning house, and the Lord is leading you into that burning house. If you see Jesus there, that's where he's leading you. I'm speaking metaphorically to people that I know are fairly mature in the Lord, so you'll understand the metaphor. But he always leads us to follow Jesus. And so why would the Father lead you away from safety into a burning house? Because you're supposed to rescue somebody who's about to lose their life in that house. Sometimes the Lord does lead us into dicey situations. But if He's there and the Father's leading you to Jesus, then you need to follow Jesus. Can you say amen? Your will, let's talk for a moment about your will, because we know the Holy Spirit can influence us 
with the peace of God and with the joy of the Lord. But the part of us that he engages is what we call our will. Your will is what I would call the decision maker. It's the decision making apparatus in your soul. In fact, I would say to you, if you want to understand why your will is important, it's because your will is the part of you that's going to answer on the day of judgment for your life. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus gave a, a little parable. He said, a man had two sons. And he said to them both, go work a day in my field. And the first son said, absolutely, Father, I will. But then afterwards, he didn't do it. And the second son said, I don't feel like it. I got other things to do. But then he changed his mind and repented, and he went and worked the day. Jesus asked the question, who did the will of the Father? And the disciples answered and said, well, the, the second son did the will of the Father. And that is right. The Lord is showing us, giving us a little insight into how He will judge our lives and how He judges our daily life on a regular basis. Regardless of the intentions, it was the action that the will took that actually counted as doing the will of God. The first son had great intentions. The second son had bad intentions. But Jesus said, the one whose will led him to take action and do God's will is the one who is credited with doing the will of God, which means the first son was credited with what? Disobeying. How many of us are dragging along stubbornness like an anchor in our life, piling up weights behind us of, of one situation after another where the Lord is dealing with us and we won't do what He's convicting and leading us to do. But we offer to God as we continue to try to have a meaningful prayer life with Him, the rationalization, God knows my heart. He does. Let me tell you what else He knows. He knows your actions. And He knows that your will, when it comes up against certain things, simply decides to disengage and not do what he's telling you to do. And so in the final analysis, when life is weighed out, what's it going to boil down to? I have to tell you, I'm standing in a sacred place behind a sacred desk, and there have been a lot of preachers over the past 2,000 years that have stood in this sacred place with a sacred charge and a sacred responsibility to tell the truth. And so I'm going to tell you the truth this morning, that the Bible says you will be judged for what you have done in your body. You will be judged, the Bible says, for the deeds and the works of your life. This is why forgiveness through the blood of Jesus is such a phenomenal gift, because the Lord will wipe that whole, everything from the bloodline under gets forgiven and put away. But once we have entered into that relationship through the blood of Jesus, are we walking in obedience to the Lord? That's where you and I as Christians wrestle every day with the Lord. And unfortunately, as the years go by, we tend to get into the habit of just compromising 
and we think, oh, it's not so bad, I'm, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, we look at the things we aren't doing, but we excuse the things that we know God's dealing with us about. So I'm saying to you again that the Lord looks at the acts of our will as being the thing that really tells where our life is at. So let me just move ahead and say to you that hearing and knowing the Word of God, but not doing it, is basically equivalent to saying, no thanks, Father, when He offers to lead you away from temptation and deliver you from evil. Think about it. Jesus is doing us a great favor, and He's saying, you can come to the Father and say, lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil. And the Father says, this is my will. This is my way. Walk in it. All you have to do is do the things that God tells you to do because that's where Jesus will be for you and that's where peace will be for you and that's where the strength to overcome the temptations that you struggle with, you'll find them there. If people that wrestled with secret sins and struggled with bad characteristics and repetitive sins, and we all have those Sins that so easily beset us, as the author of Hebrews said. If we only knew there was a direct correlation between us simply doing what God is telling us to do, that may have nothing whatsoever, no connection whatsoever, with the area of sin that we are struggling with, we'd gain the victory over sin in that area if we would obey God in this thing that He's telling us to do. It's taking refuge through our obedience to God that leads us away from temptation. I want you to see what's happening. When the Lord is calling you and says, this is what I want you to do today. This is what I'm asking you to do. And day after day, week after week, month after month, you keep thinking about it, but you won't initiate the effort to do it. You're putting off your deliverance from evil. You're putting off your freedom from temptation the whole time while you're sitting there at that door, not opening it while Jesus is patient and lovingly knocking at that door. That whole time temptation's having its way with you and you're thinking, well, I keep asking the Lord to not lead me into temptation, but I can't seem to get away from it. And he's on the other side of the door saying, open it. Do what I'm telling you to do. But I don't see that this has anything to do with that. It has everything to do with that. Because it's in obeying Jesus that addresses every area of your life. Not just the areas that you could put together in your mind and see a correlation with. Stop thinking carnally minded. Stop thinking with your brain and start thinking with the word. All right, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 30 through 31, God said, They did not comply with my advice. They spurned all my rebuke. Therefore, they will eat from the fruit of their way, and they will be stuffed full of their own counsel. Ooh, what a thought. For simpletons... Turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. Wow. Basically, God is saying, 
If you turn away from me, you are turning to death. Even if you don't see a correlation between the issue that you're turning away from God in and the particular form that death takes as it comes into your life and injects its lethal effect upon you. The Lord says simpletons don't put it together. They compartmentalize their life. They say, I've got it together over here, and the problem area of my life over here, I've built a perimeter around it. It's, it's safe. But see, it's not safe in the kingdom of God because our life is whole before the Lord. It all blends together. Think about it. Would you take a dropper full of arsenic and in an eight ounce glass of water that you were about to drink, squeeze it into that glass and say, just stay down in the corner, the, the bottom. I'm going to put you in there and, and, and I want you to scooch down to the bottom there while I drink the 98% of the water. No, nobody in their right mind would do that. Well, that is what our life is like and that's how God deals with us. Those things never stay isolated. They affect everything. The scripture says that the fools are destroyed by their own complacency. You say, when Jesus said, lead me away from temptation, said to pray, lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil, he was basically saying, the evil that could possibly come and affect your life is the temptation I tried to lead you away from. If you'd let me lead you away from it, the enemy wouldn't be able to come in and tear up your home, destroy your marriage, uh, affect your health, take the peace from your mind, or inject your life with strife and trouble. God wants you well. He wants to heal you. He wants, to, he wants you to live in peace. Hallelujah. So when we ask our Father, deliver me from evil, then God answers back and says, let me lead you to myself and away from your temptations. And when you come to me in obedience, I'll wrap my arms around you. The blood of Jesus will effectively be over your life and the evil that was lurking will not be able to touch you. Come to me and I'll lead you away from temptation and the destroyer will not touch you. We say it oftentimes in quoting Isaiah 55 and verse 12. Indeed, you will go out with joy and you will be led along in peace. The mountains and the hills will give a joyful shout before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Do you know what he is prophetically saying to you and I is, you are favored of the Lord. And my will, when you walk in obedience to me, when you walk after my will, you will go out with joy and I will lead you with peace. And as you go, the circumstances that ordinarily might bring danger to your life, those circumstances, hallelujah, will give a shout of joy before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. In other words, God said, I'll make even the circumstances around you to present favor to you. 
if you'll go out with joy and be led forth with peace. So Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, keep watch. Have you ever heard the phrase watching in prayer? How many of you know what watching is? You know, some of you old timers might remember watching. The Bible says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus said to the disciples in the garden, watch and pray. What did he mean by watch and pray? Did he mean don't close your eyes? Be looking around? You never know when somebody's going to pop into the room? Well, I suppose thinking like that probably is not a bad idea because it really does sort of capture the idea of being vigilant. But you're not watching for natural things. You're watching, where's Jesus? Where's the Father? Watching. You know what happens when you are praying and you get yourself into a habit of, of really getting in communion with the Lord and you're watching? When you watch like that, you notice when your tank is low. You watch and you see, I'm feeling honorary today. I woke up aggravated. Where's that peace I had yesterday? You don't ignore those things. You watch them. Since this time of fasting, the Lord had brought me into a beautiful place. I walked around, and I'll tell you, every day and night, I was like just on the edge of just weeping before the Lord for the joy of being free again and feeling free and feeling that joy. Watching in prayer is when you notice that starts to fade. When you notice it peels back, when you notice the hard edge coming back. The trouble with us is we watch that hardness come back. We watch the tenderness fade and just let it happen. But those that watch and pray get up from that bed that morning when everything within them says, I feel like praying like I feel like cutting a toe off. And that is the morning you crawl before the Father and you cry out to Him. If you have to shut the door, if you have to get into a soundproof room and you start crying out to God, you refuse to leave, you have a Holy Ghost breakdown fit before the Lord. Please, God, don't let me get like this. Please don't let me. I refuse to let this, these natural tendencies come and rob me of what you have done. You cry after the Lord. That's what watching and praying is. It's taking notice and not just ignoring when the enemy walks into your life. And who is the enemy? Where does the enemy come from? The enemy arises from within the temptations of our own flesh. James said a man is sinned when he is drawn away of his own lust. That's where temptation arises. Stop standing by idle with your hands in your pocket and let the glory fade. Chase it. Refuse to lose it. Cry out to God. Make an issue. Fight the fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Am I connecting with anyone know what I'm talking about? What we're talking about you in the secret place of the Most High, doing what is necessary 
to fight for your freedom in God. And don't let it go. Jesus said, when you pray, pray. Lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Take what I've just said to you and superimpose that statement over that context and you'll find your prayer life will be revolutionized. When you realize the Lord has given me the power and the authority to pray over my own spiritual condition and to stop letting His blessing, His tenderness be squeezed out of my life as the things of the world start crowding back in. Old Pentecostal guy told the story how he was at the altar. He used to have altar rails in church, and they'd be up there praying at the altar. There's a woman that was up there. She'd get up there every single service. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. She'd start crying. Come and fill this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. I lift it up and make me whole. I may have messed the words up. It gets a general idea. Yeah, how'd I do? Good? So I used to, I heard that test, and, and he looked over one day, and he yelled out, Don't bother, Lord. It's got holes in it. Because she was up at the altar, every single altar call, weeping and crying. Here's my cup, Lord. Lift it up, Lord. And I used to laugh about that for years. I thought, you know. Where's faith in the Word? We need to get on the Word, you know. The Word says, bless God, I'll never leave or forsake you. Well, the problem isn't God leaving and forsaking. It's us leaving and forsaking. Are you listening? There is that whole side of the coin, and we like to ignore it. That woman was right on. How do we know what her life was like? But we know this. She knew where to go. Maybe she was drilling holes in her own cup every day, but at least she was there at Jesus in his face going, here's my cup, fill it up again. She was advocating, advocating for her own soul before God. Don't sit by and let the blessing and the presence of God just weep out of your life. Drain out and sit and say, well, the will of the Lord be done. Because the will of the Lord is hammering on that door. Open this door and obey me. Hallelujah. I've got a couple other things to say, so I, I, I need to get it out. Praise the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I saw something 40 plus years in full-time ministry and I finally saw this. I've read that maybe a trillion times. I just now saw it. Watch and pray so that you don't give in to temptation for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. And I read it back again and I changed one word. 
For the spirit is willing when the body is weak. With his joy and peace, God is able to lead to himself and away from temptation the soul that is willing. Let me say to you this morning that when your flesh is weak, the willingness of your spirit is where your answer lies. If you are weak in your flesh, know that having a willingness before God, that is, that is your power button. Use that willingness in your spirit and turn it towards Jesus. Take that willingness and stir it up and go after the Lord with that willingness. Jesus said to the disciples, you don't have to fall asleep. You don't have to let the natural limitations that weaken you dominate you. If you could get a hold of the willingness in your spirit, you could overcome those. You could rise up. I would furnish you with jet fuel for your faith. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Is anybody seeing what I'm talking about? David said, one thing have I desired. That also will I seek after. He, you could use your will and pursue Jesus. When your flesh is weak, your spirit is willing. Stop shutting your spirit down. Go there. Commune with Him in your spirit. Give your spirit and the will in your spirit to make Jesus Lord. Feed it. Let it praise God when your body doesn't want to. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, so let me finish this. <clears throat> when you're all done praying and the petitioning is over with, you're finished petitioning the Father. Before you say amen, worship Him with faith's declaration. That is why Jesus, in Matthew's account, end, ended up after saying to them, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He then adds at the end, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Why did he put that at the end? Was that just a kind of a little benediction we just put on the end of the prayer? No, he was saying not to say it. He was saying to do it. In other words, when you're done with the petition, then before you get up and say, amen, praise God. There it is. Got to go run. He said, stop and have a praise service. Yes. And, and, and worship the Lord with your faith. Proclaiming, hallelujah, worshiping. In other words, if I could offer the words to you, you might do something like this. You might stand up or, um, and, and lift up your voice and lift up your hands before the Father and say, Father. Because I know that you've heard me this morning and will answer me. I now celebrate and I proclaim your kingdom 
is over all. Your power is above all. I'm declaring out for all the demonic spirits and all the angels of heaven and whatever's in the spiritual atmosphere, for all who care to hear, I make this declaration. Your kingdom is over all, power above all, and all glory, all credit, all praise belongs to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As your ambassador representing your kingdom. I represent your power. I represent your glory here in the earth. I now exercise my authority through praising you and I call these things done in Jesus' name. Instead of just shoving the petition before the Father, you've taken the beautiful time to, to pour out your heart. Now worship Him. As the ambassador of Christ, you are declaring the kingdom, the power, the glory is sealed in Jesus. I stand here this morning as his ambassador over this house, over this neighborhood, over this church, over this community where you have planted me. And I decree it. The kingdom the power, and the glory. Have you ever felt like after you've asked God, I want to do something. I want to seal this somehow. Faith in me wants to act. There it is. Stand up as an ambassador of Christ and proclaim it with your mouth. When Jesus returns, a two-edged sword will be proceeding from his mouth. It's the Word of God. Psalm 8 and verse 2, Out of the mouths of babes, you have established strength. When Jesus quoted the verse, He said, You've established praise because of your foes, that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. Jesus was saying, Finish up with a declaration in worship as the ambassador of Christ. Yours is the kingdom. And the power and the glory. Because every avenging devil that just heard you pray, every spirit that's holding on to that person you just interceded for is hearing you as the ambassador of Christ declare the kingdom, the power, and the glory belongs to Jesus and they will let go. The Bible says God has ordained praise out of the mouths of even babes because of His enemies To bind the avenger. Read it for yourself. It's in Psalm 82. Read it for yourself. He said, that's how God binds the devil. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You just can't go running around church. You just can't j- come running out of the car after uh, uh, you know having your head filled with all kinds of kind of stuff and go running up and down the church aisles going, praise God in Jesus' name. I just bind the devil. I just bind the devil. He's just going to sit there and laugh. He'll put his foot out and trip you and laugh. Come here, watch this. You listening to me? But when you put yourself through the yes. Our Father, and you, you are acting as the ambassador of Christ. And let me, for my third close, I share this one sentence. By concluding 
on a high note of worship and proclamation, you have reset yourself as God's covenant partner in the stewardship of your life. And you have reset your soul to think with the word and not with your own reasoning. You actually have participated in that reset for which you fasted and sought God. Somebody say glory to God. Oh, that was kind of weak. I know I preached better than that. I'm not looking for anything, but could you say praise the Lord to Jesus? Could you say praise the Lord to Jesus? Come on, could you say thank you, Lord? Could you say, Lord, I've heard some awesome things about you today. Hallelujah. Could you stand to your feet right now? Come on, could you stand up right now? Hallelujah. Could you stand up and could you say to the Father, Lord, I've heard some awesome things about you today. Lord, my spirit has drunk in some living water. I've eaten some living bread. Something's happening. And I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, folks, I, uh, I have to say, every now and then, I blow it. Every now and then, I blow it. And um, so, I, although we, we've had a great time this morning, I'm about to dismiss you. One thing I definitely blew, we planned an awesome testimony this morning from our time of fasting. I am really excited about hearing this. And I was thinking, once I got to preaching and I was looking at, at Melissa back there and I was thinking, oh boy, she's got a testimony. She shared it with me and the, other, the other day and I was standing there listening to her just thinking, oh Jesus, wow. This is what this whole fast is all about. And it, it, it was just awesome. I said, you have got to share this at church. You have got to share it. You know, so we got to prophesying and praising God and running around, and I just, my head just goes, Phew. and I thought, oh, I'll just have her come up and share. After. And no, no, no. It is so good. We're not going to stick it as a tag at the end of the service. You come back next week and bring somebody. If you know somebody needs to hear a word about how God can break you out in your life from things that go all the way back to your childhood that you thought you could never be broken out of before. You bring somebody and come and get ready. I mean, I may not even preach. That testimony she's got is awesome. Awesome. Hallelujah. And I know Melissa doesn't think of herself as a great preacher because she's probably sitting there thinking, Pastor, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? See, it's not her preachability. It's what she's going to say. Because it's true. It's something God is, has done and is doing. So, Melissa, forgive me for getting all fashemeled, which is a Jewish term. And, but next week, I, I know, see, you'll, it'll be percolating in you. Hallelujah. Did you have a good time this morning? Glory, Amen. Uh, uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, now, we're, we're, we're making progress every week. 
pressing the envelope a little bit. We're going to get that. We're going to have our breakout. God's moving. Just keep the pressure on. Keep pressing in. Keep stepping into your freedom. Come ready and, and, and pour out your heart and, and watch the Lord move week by week. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, lift your hands to the Lord.